Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Doreen Grand Pichet is the doctor. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Pichet. Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and it looks like I'm sitting here by myself, but actually I'm not because Traven is a little bit of a genius. Look who's there in her chair. Long distance, it's Dr. Doreen Grandpichet uh, saying hello to all of you. And we are going to be live here for the next hour with Dr. Grandpichet with her asking questions, even though she's live remote. Good morning, Dr. Grandpichet. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, everyone. I wish I could see how well uh, Trayvon has set this up, and thank you for letting me do this from another city. It's wonderful, and we've been doing that for a while, but it's wonderful that we're, I'm still in the studio. That's the, the feat and the accomplishment here. So I'm saying good morning to all of you. Susie B. and Rosie Lott are already here with us this morning. I'm so thrilled that you guys are here. The chat is live and open right now. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. And eventually, Traven will put uh, some of those sites up on the screen for you so that you can see if you're curious because you're listening to us in podcast and you don't know what all those places are, I want to encourage you every once in a while to take a trip over to YouTube and watch one of our sh- live shows recorded because we have now, do you realize, Dr. Grampiche, we're coming up on 11 years. Next month, I love 11 that. years love of that. live shows. It's insane. It's craziness. Um, but 11 years that we've been doing this. So there's a lot to see. I hope you guys will go back and watch some of the archives because we've preserved that library just for you. It's all free for you. It is available on YouTube. And don't forget to check out Dr. Doreen on on, uh, TikTok and on YouTube, as well as all of our other programs. And you're also now on Instagram too, aren't you, Dr. Grampichet? Yes, I am. I guess I've been on Instagram but I just didn't know how to, someone else was like managing it. And now I'm personally looking at all the questions and I'm finding all these questions that folks are writing in, which is super nice. And today, if, if, if we have time, Shannon, I'd love to be able to answer a couple of questions that I didn't have a chance to answer on, on Instagram. We will definitely have a chance to do that. I will tell you that your internet is struggling just a little bit, Dr. Grampiche, mm-hmm. and a trick that Temple Grandin taught me is if you when you're still your sound is okay when you move around your sound breaks up a little bit because the internet can't handle your movement so uh i will try not to move as much as possible there we go and we heard that clearly uh okay so during this hour for those of you who don't know dr grampiche is a true expert in the field of autism she's been working in this field for more than 40 years and it has been an amazing resource to so many of us. I frequently say I would follow her into a burning building because I would know she was going in for a good reason. That's the kind of faith that I have had in her for almost 20 years now. And with good reason, because there was a time and a space when I, as a parent, was told that my child had autism and that I should basically let go of all expectation. And that is not what Dr. Grampiche said. And I listened to her and the people that she trained, and thank goodness, because my son's in college now and doing really well. And so many other families have, have, have been able to benefit from her knowledge, and so many other individuals have been able to benefit from her knowledge. And, and she's been at the forefront of, of looking at individuals, all individuals, as whole individuals, whether they're on the spectrum or not, looking at them in terms of what their medical needs are, looking at in terms of what their desires and what they have to, to gain and lose by, by teaching them things. So 
We're so grateful that she's here. She's going to be answering your question. You can be writing in right now on any one of those platforms that we talked about. Uh, we do have some questions that came in, as Dr. Grampy-Shea said, on uh, all different kinds of channels, as well as I got some as well. Do you want to start with one of your questions, Dr. Grampy-Shea? Yeah, if you don't mind, Shannon, I'd love to. Um, this is a question that came in from Ida on August 2nd, so, and hopefully she is listening or will look at this later. Um, Ida wrote, Hi, Dr. Doreen. Thanks so much for responding back. My son is almost four years old. At two, he got diagnosed with autism. We've been doing speech therapy and ABA for a year, but I don't see much improvement. He's able to talk, but his speech is not clear. He can talk about his cars and dinosaurs. He's able to answer questions, but it's like I have to force him question at least 10 times till I get an answer. He can only talk to me and my husband. He's very shy or scared of others and hides behind us when anyone tries to talk to him. How can I help him uh, have a conversation with me instead of just talking about his interests? Should I take away his cars and dinosaurs? So it's a really good question. A lot of people, it's similar to questions that a lot of other people uh, ask, right? And so there's a few things that I just want to kind of mention, Ida, and maybe you can check them off, like if you have done these things or where you are with this. So first of all, great that you're doing ABA and speech. That seems to be what he needs. That's wonderful. But I don't know how much of each one you're doing. Uh, usually a child who is this young should be receiving about 40 hours of ABA. So that's quite a lot per week. So that's about, you know, it's like uh, maybe six hours or seven hours a day every single day, as well as his speech therapy. So most of the time when ABA doesn't work, it's either because there's there, here are some reasons. One is we're not doing enough of it. That's the first reason. Second reason is the child has some other underlying issue that's preventing him from learning. So perhaps the child's not sleeping well enough. Perhaps the child has allergies or yeast infection or gastrointestinal issues or some other medical issue that could be maybe the child has comorbid ADHD, something else that's not allowing the child to sit down and pay attention and learn. So have you looked into those other possibilities? Are you doing intense enough therapy? And the third reason that I can think of when ABA doesn't work is just it's not good ABA. And that's unfortunately common than we like, but it does happen, right, where people are more, I mean, I have gone into situations where a family is trying to get me to take over their case, and honestly, what has happened before is just babysitting. So I want to make sure that your child is getting good ABA, and, and Shannon and I have done a few segments on, you know, what are the things you should look out for and what defines good ABA? So perhaps you can search for that on our YouTube channel and find those because I think it's really important that you keep doing what you're doing, but just make sure it's high quality, enough and intensity, and that your child is medically, biochemically in a place where he or she can benefit from it. Hopefully that helps. Wonderful. We've had a lot of people writing in about positive reinforcement. Um, and so I did a little thing on positive reinforcement yesterday. It's sort of our overreaching topic for the week. But I've got two questions here about positive reinforcement that I'd like to kind of combine. Um, the first one is, my problem is my three-and-a-half-year-old minimally verbal child um, 
I, I can't seem to find any reinforcers for them. He runs from one thing to another, climbs on furniture, throws thing ar- things around, breaks stuff, doesn't stop even long enough to show interest in anything new for more than a few seconds, or even if it was favored per- previously. I've tried snacks, sips of cola, which he loves, new toys. He doesn't like to be touched, so no tickles and much more. Uh, if I can get his attention to notice something, the minute I show interest, he abandons it. It's as if he knows I'm trying to bribe him. I'm at my wit's end. Any advice? I, I got some more information from her also. He's... Mm-hmm. Um, in, in like a preschool class and, and it's the, the teacher there and she is working with a team, has some ABA. Um, they're, they're saying to him, it's, it's as though he sees what the motive is. And then he turns off from it, Dr. Grampy Shea. And then um, Susie B wrote in this morning and said, is there any book that you, um, she wants to learn more about positive reinforcement. Is there any book that's not complicated or confusing to read, and because um, I think it's hard for us to understand, Doctor Grampichet. Even though it's crystal clear, I, th- I think it's one of those things that once you get it, you get it. And I think it's cl- crystal clear to people who work in the field because once you've seen it like thirteen times, you go, "Oh, I, I totally get what it is." But what can yeah. you say to help both of these parents? Sure, <clears throat> and it's interesting because you know I, I'd say. Uh, the, I guess, non-technical way of looking at positive reinforcement is to basically say it is anything that increases a behavior, okay? So, um, and that, I think, is what throws people off because usually we think of positive reinforcement as just like a thing, an object, you know, like, let's say a food item, right? And a child does something and you give them a treat. And when you give them the treat, they feel very happy and rewarded. And so whatever they did will increase because, you know, we work in life, we work for positive reinforcers, okay? But I think what confuses people a little bit is that it doesn't have to be a tangible object, it can be attention. It can be an activity. In fact, it can be escaping from an activity. Um, so let's say a child will tantrum in class because, and then what happens when they tantrum is that they will take them out of the classroom because they're everyone else. Well, that taking out of the classroom is the positive reinforcer for the child. And so what happens is the child's tantruming increases because he's trying to get out of the classroom. And so anything that follows a behavior results in that behavior increasing is a positive reinforcement. And there are so many different things. Now, uh, sometimes we say, honestly, my child, a lot of parents will say to me, my child has nothing he's motivated by. And that is just... It's sometimes our kids are very smart, but they're always motivated by something. Just listening to this uh, first family, Shannon, clearly one of the things the child is motivated by is control, having control, right? Because anytime he sees that somebody else has control, he acts up. So children who are that way tend to find attention, positive attention, to be very reinforcing. So so with the child, I suggest one of the things that you do is you allow him to choose what he wants for, what he wants to work for. And you don't want to call it that way because a lot of kids don't want to work for anything, but... You want to give him the choice of a number of different things and say, which one do you want? And he can choose. And it can be anything from, I want you guys to leave me alone for five minutes. I want to go outside and run around. I want to listen to music. I want to item. I want to play with that object, I, whatever it might be. And also, Shannon, um, perhaps one of the things we can do is maybe we can um, share uh, we have a very lengthy reinforcement survey. Do you have that, Shannon? We wrote that many years ago at CARD. I don't have it, but I'm sure I can ask somebody for it. I probably have copies somewhere. I can send it to you. It's just 
a whole list that I made years ago of everything that could, could possibly be a reinforcer. <laughs> and, and it helps parents because you go through it and it just like you look at it's like th- four pages, I think. And you look through and you're like, oh, okay, I think that might work. And sometimes, by the way, as a parent, we don't know what's reinforcing until we offer it. And then we notice. And, you know, this is really important. Things that we may consider to be aversive could be reinforcing for our kids. And this has nothing to do with autism. If you think about your teenagers, you know, listening to crazy music might be rewarding for them, but it's punitive for us, right? So people have different tastes. And so you never, you shouldn't think of something and think, oh, this doesn't seem rewarding. It could be rewarding for your child. And you're sure if you okay. I, I lost you for just a second there, Dr. Grampichet. But such sure. a good point because you know this is one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is that it's it's personal. It's personal yes. to you that what you like, what I like, they're going to be very different things, and they're going to be different things on different days. So important that we keep that in mind. That just because we like something, it doesn't mean that our kids will like it. Uh, so evident in music. Mm-hmm. Music. Um, I want to, I, I promised we, our dear Johanny, who writes to us from the suburbs of Philly, um, I promised that I would bring up a question and she's also written in here saying that she's having trouble getting support from doctors. Um, mm-hmm. So she wrote in with a question saying, is activated charcoal a thing for our kids? And asked if I've ever heard you mention it. I will say that I wrote her back and said that uh, we did give our son uh, mm-hmm. activated charcoal as part of a regimen that was prescribed by his doctor when we were going through a, use, a yeast die-off protocol. Um, yes. There was a very specific schedule that we had that at 9 o'clock he got one pill because there was like four medicines that he was on. And, and then after, after one of the pills, he had to have, uh, it was a half of an activated charcoal I don't remember what the milligrams were mixed into a drink and it was a way to absorb what it was that the other pill was killing the, the yeast in his system. But it's, you know, she saw a post about it that somebody was giving it to their child and said it looked scary because if you give too much activated charcoal, she was telling me it can cause severe vomiting. But I did share with her that we were very successful in using it in die-off. So I don't know what you, if you want to add, and and that I, in fact, bought it over the counter. It's not, even though it was part of a regimen with the doctor that the doctor prescribed, the activated charcoal was something I bought over the counter at a Whole Foods market. So um, I I don't know what your experience is, but they wanted to know if you ever talk about activated charcoal. Yep. Yes, and activated charcoal is generally used to absorb toxins of any type. So, you know, even if you're poisoned, one of the things that you your doctor might tell you to do is take activated charcoal because it will bind with the toxin and, and kind of exit your body. Now, dosage will change. It'll depend on what the toxicity is. It'll depend on the size of the child's weight. And it'll depend on other biochemical factors. So it is important that you do this under the supervision of a functional medicine physician nutritionist who to guide you through and tell you exactly how much your child should be taking or if they even need it because it really does have to do with uh, removing toxins. And, and also the other thing about it is that because many of our children are taking other medications, it's very important to know if you should or should not give activated charcoal and when you should give it, because it can also uh, reduce the effect of some of the medications by removing them from the body as well. So it's important to do this under supervision. Absolutely. What a great point, because in fact, that's why we were on the regimented schedule, because 
we couldn't give, for instance, the activated charcoal in a window of time around, yep. say, his probiotic, because it would make the probiotic null and void. So exactly. um, great, great point, Dr. Grampy-Shea. And I, you broke up for just a second when you were saying, so I want to make sure that everybody hears clearly that she was saying that you should be doing that under the direction of a functional uh, medicine physician or a nutritionist. Is that correct, Dr. Grampy-Shea? Yes, that's what I said. Yeah, because I just think it's super important to make sure we're not taking it at the wrong time, the wrong dose and all of that. Very good. Good advice. I love it. Did you want to answer another question from your list or should I keep going? No, I think you can keep going because I see some of these questions are hitting on similar topics. Okay. Uh, so Noreen says, my son is 16 on Aeroprazole and has been for three years. How long do we keep on medication? Yeah. So Abilify, that's, that's Abilify. Um, and, uh, it is a antipsychotic medication and it will really depend on your doctor. And generally speaking, um, you know, it's one of those medications that has been that's for autism, which I am very sensitive to those medications like Risperdal or Abilify because, you know, I don't know that I, I don't like the idea of just saying, hey, let's take medication to reduce all symptoms. I don't really like that because I feel like a lot of the symptoms of autism are kids are trying to communicate something. So um, it really depends on your doctor. Sometimes they will give Abilify because the child is highly aggressive um, or is extremely hyperactive or those types of things. And usually when we have teens, like 16 as your child, is one of the medications that would just generally calm the child a little bit. And so um, it's is really up to your physician. It could be many, many years. It's not a drug that is short-term, for sure. It can be, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And it really is based on what is it that, what are the symptoms that your physician is trying to deal with? Now, when I get that question, I usually will recommend to the parents to try to see a again, functional medicine doctor, which is very different than sort of Western medicine. And the Western medicine, we try to manage the, um, the symptoms. So let's say, you know, let's say Advil, Tylenol, that's Western medicine. It's like, I have a headache. Let me just take a medication that's going to prevent me from feeling headache. So I'm dealing with the symptoms, Right. Um, same thing with things like antipsychotics. They just deal with the, the the outcome, the symptoms. Functional medicine tries to deal with the causes. And functional medicine looks at things like, well, if the child has a headache, what's causing the headache? Or in this case, what are the behaviors that we are defining um, that we need to treat? Are there other things like dietary things? or supplements or other things we can do to help with those aside from dealing with the symptoms. So this is really a question that you should take up with your doctor or find a doctor that is um, practicing functional medicine. Okay. I love that answer. Um, I, I love that uh, Parker has written in and said, wow, a rectangular box on a square cha chair, Traven must be a genius. Thank you, Parker. We think so. Uh, uh, okay, so someone else has written, and this is a little lengthy. My son with ASD will be five in October. He progressed from single words at third birthday to talking in complete sentence, even complex. Example, and if so, because, but, while, etc. many times a day. Uh, he has imaginary play, though, although sometimes repetitive, and will also do short social talk with adults. 
Uh, I think he learned this from pre-K social skill class. And he's reading at a K level and can add, subtract with items. Um, and he can ride a bike with no training wheels, but he still struggles with talking with kids without help from an adult. And often he won't respond to adult questions. He also struggles with generalizing things, impulsivity, and emotional regulation. When it's loud or stressful, his language regresses. How do I deal with the whiplash contradictions? And, and she wants to know if I ever felt this way. There's so much there. I mean, I can relate to some of this. But um, what do you, there's so much, Dr. Grampiche. Let me know what you want me to repeat, or are you able to see it? I'm able to see it, and I'm not going it, to, it, it's not really possible for me to kind of go into and give you curriculum ideas at this point, but I want to give you some uh, just general feedback. So first of all, I want to congratulate this parent because this is a high-functioning child. So this is a child who's learning across different domains and has mastered quite a bit of stuff in two years. So that's wonderful. That's good news. But what it means is you have more work to do and you need to get on that work right away like, and keep pushing because you have another couple of years to teach your child a whole bunch of other stuff. And honestly, the best I can do is to suggest to you that you try to get on, if you're not already, get on skills. Um, it's a platform online that's owned by Card um, that we built many, many years ago, but I believe it's open to the public now. And what you can do is you go on there and you will answer questions, all the stuff wrote about different levels of like where your child is plus other things too you'll add a bunch of other stuff to it like you'll answer lots and lots of questions and it will show you the gaps it'll show you kind of the holes right where things are lacking and sometimes it's a more basic skill that needs to be worked on before things like conversation can take off you know like we talk about something like having a conversation Person, uh, is such an a, advanced skill. It's not an easy skill. It depends on 20 other lessons that have occurred and have been mastered before that. Just taking this, quickly, looking at your questions pretty quickly, I can see that there's a lot of issues with generalizing to real life and to different people. So I would practice skills that have been mastered with different people in different scenarios. And when I say practice, just, you know, prompts. If you, it sounds like you've been in ABA for a while. So don't get frustrated because this is really, really good stuff. Your child's already mastered a lot of stuff. But when he struggles, prompt and reward. Go back to the, the tactics of ABA, which are... If your child is is struggling with something, make it a little bit easier, increase the reinforcer, and then gradually work your way back to, you know, making it as hard as real life and reducing the reinforcers. But you can always go back and increase the reinforcers, prompt, model, show your child, teach your child these very, very important things that are still missing. Now, if you have a hard time accessing skills, I just realized yesterday, actually, I just was reminded of the fact that the list of lessons that are on skills are also in the appendix of our book uh, that we published many years ago, which is uh, the model, basically. And you can order that book and you will see the list of all of the the areas and when you look at them that will really help you figure out sort of little things that are missing wonderful so um we we've, we've been struggling a little bit with your video dr grampy shay and so at this point it's it, the sound is getting worse because the video so we're going to make the decision right now until it gets a little bit better that we're going to drop out your video so that we can at least hear you um, and hear okay. you without struggling. Okay. So Traven is going to be doing that. I just don't want anybody to be freaked out about why we're doing that because 
We, we want to be able to hear what you're saying. It's so good. We don't want to miss even a little bit of it. Um, so I'm going to leave Traven in charge of that. Would it help if I just disable my camera? It's not. I, I don't think it's that. I think your internet connection is not great. So, um, um, okay, I can just to help Traven out. I can tell you that my internet connection is really good <laughs> because I've done a bunch of other things. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's maybe the setup we have right now, but I'm happy to accommodate in any way that will help. Okay. Well, Traven might be messaging you. Um, I'm going to continue on and be talking to you, and hopefully that will be okay. Uh, Ka mm-hmm. has written in something that just absolutely has it just shakes me to my core because it makes me very upset. She says, what about when the ABA is just sitting at a desk for hours? What mm-hmm. could I ask my ABA provider to do so he isn't just sitting at a table? That makes me want to light my hair on fire and run screaming around this studio. But ask me how I really feel. Yeah, I know. That's the really unfortunate con. That's a good example of what Shannon and I often talk about is just being bad ABA. And, you know, with ABA, it's it's just a teaching technique. It does not require your child. In fact, no child should be sitting at a desk for hours. They will get frustrated, bored, tired, give up, become aversive. Uh, and essentially, a, a good ABA, you're up and around and, you know, doing all kinds of stuff in between sitting at a table. So there's a lot of things that can be, you, you really need to talk to your ABA provider or change yeah. and make sure that your child gets a lot of what's rewarding for him or her and that they move around and are uh, not sitting at a table. That is not a good way to learn. Yeah. I, I, when we're back in the same room, I have to show you a parent sent me a video last night and said, what do you think of this? And it showed, uh, it was a video of uh, basically a therapist with an individual sitting at a table and they were demonstrating something that they were working on. It was so complicated. Um, there were three different token economies on the table. And depending on what the, the person did, they got a sticker on one of three. It was so complicated, it made me dizzy. And I thought, if, if I, I'm an adult, and if I were sitting there doing this, I wouldn't know when I was right or wrong. Um, yeah. And, and they, the parent asked me, what do you think about this? And I said, it makes me have hives. Um, yeah. So I want to show it to you and get your opinion on it, Dr. Grampier. But uh, it just makes me crazy. Um, okay. Lori says, my developmental pediatrician made referrals for multiple services, ABA, music therapy, OT, speech therapy, and so forth. But the problem we are facing is that the insurance was uh, has a waiting list and they have to wait to provide services. I'm almost positive that we may have to pay all of the services out of pocket. Do you have any information where we don't have to wait or pay out of pocket? Yeah, that is not good. First of all, you, there's a lot of ABA providers now, so you should be able to just look around and, and keep talking to your payer, your insurance, and tell them that this is urgent. Honestly, this is a situation, Shannon, where if you bug your payer a lot, they will get you in faster. Um, when I was running CARD, we would get calls from the insurance companies saying this is urgent. And we would always take a child who the insurance company would say is urgent quicker. So please do that. And also, you should not have to pay out of pocket. It really depends on your insurance. So that is something I'm afraid I can't really tell you much about. But that's kind of, you know, it depends on your insurance. And and I am, Shannon, going to try and see if it helps because um, Traven sent me a link. And I don't know if, if you are here. You're breaking up a little bit. Take a second to do what Traven's asking you to do, 
And I'm going to say to Laurie that um, this has been a problem with insurance. When insurance says that you have a benefit and your doctor writes you a prescription, then insurance has to give you access to that. Um, if it's in your covered benefits. Now, I don't know if your music therapy and your OT are in your covered benefits. I don't even know if ABA is, but it probably is. And if insurance says that it is a covered benefit, but you're on a waiting list, then it becomes a thing where you say to them that they need to give you potentially a single case agreement. If they, because what they're saying is you're on a waiting list for our in-network providers, Right. But if there's somebody else in your community that, that is not covered in your, their network, then you have to ask for a single case agreement to start with them because otherwise it is a denial of access to services. And that's a phrase that we all need to memorize, denial of access to services. Because, boy, insurance, when, they see, when you use that term, they go, oh, because that's actionable. So I really want to encourage you to um, speak up, as Dr. Grampichet said, talk to the insurance provider, ask them what the holdup is, and sometimes just talking to them, as Dr. Grampichet can grease the skids and they can get you in if they know that this is absolutely vital. But, you know, I know it seems like, duh, because you, if, if your doctor prescribed it, then it's vital, right? But you got to be the squeaky wheel. Be nice, be kind, be persistent. As as our friend Nancy Allspaw-Jackson says, be a dog on a pork chop and, and get those services. You should not have to pay out of pocket. If you do pay out of pocket, make sure that you get a thing from the insurance that says that this is covered and that you're going to be reimbursed. Um, because, you, don't, you know, there's a whole process that you can go to sue them to get reimbursed. Who has time for that, right? You have other fish that you need to fry during that time. So I don't know if we have Dr. Grampichet back, Traven, or I'm going to continue on to some of the comments that when we were talking about positive reinforcement before, I love that. Uh, Le- Shannon, can you hear me? Well, I've been here. And I'm also on the link that Traven sent me, but it doesn't seem like you guys can see me on the link, I oh, think. No. Yeah, so anyway, I'm happy to answer uh, if if I can right now here. Okay. So Bonnie says, my son whines and demands to wash his hands after a bowel movement. Despite knowing what to do about wipe, wiping himself, he's adamant um, to not do, do it. not to not do it and just directly wash his hands. So I guess it's that he, even before he wipes, he wants to wash his hands. I am lost on how to make him understand that wiping himself is needed. Thank you in advance. I think there's just a step missing there, Bonnie, and perhaps it would help him if you take photos of the steps and very clearly write one, two, three, so he kind of follows the steps and knows that wiping is like step two and then washing hands is step three. That might help. Okay. I love Lady Zaina wrote in some good advice about... um positive reinforcement. As you were making the list, she said running can be a positive reinforcement. Boy, people who run and they, you know, they get that runner high, they, that's definitely a positive reinforcement for them. Absolutely. Sarah says, question for both Dr. Doreen and Shannon, what are the common things in autism success stories that would be great motivation for us parents? That's a great topic. That is a great topic, Sarah, and hopefully, I, I don't know how bad uh, my my voice is coming in, and hopefully it's not cutting in and out too much, so we can talk about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'll say one of the things that I think is very important and has always been part of our my success stories is parent involvement. I'll, right off, I'll say that, because it's when parents are trained and they know the techniques of ABA, it's almost like an automatic, they are adjusting, they're generalizing to the child's life at all times. They are maintaining the skills that the child has learned, and they're making sure that the team is working on what's relevant, right? So parents are the ones that can always help and get make sure the team is consistent and they're working on the right stuff. That's one thing. 
another really important, I guess, uh, factor for success is making sure that the child is healthy in all ways. So, because ABA is intense and it's a lot of learning. And so we want to make sure that the child is feeling well so they can sit and listen and learn and spend a lot of time with this very intensive program of ABA. Um, I'll pause there, Shannon, because I don't know if, if everybody can still hear me. We are hearing you. It's choppy, but we are still hearing you. I, we still can get the absolute sense of what you're saying. It's just It just breaks up. It's like when you're on a bad cell phone call, but you can still understand the person. You know what I'm saying? Well, hopefully. It's <laughs> yes, not ideal. Yeah. It's not ideal, and it's driving us all a little crazy. But you know what? Yeah. You are listening to you is still so reinforcing. We're all leaning in. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think Trayvon wrote to me that it's because of the way we're sharing right now. So hopefully this will, we won't happen okay. in the future. All right. But um, but anyway, um, yeah, I was just saying that it really has a lot to do with, you know, another way to look at what is a good program that will lead to success it's just its appropriateness. Right. Every child with autism is different. So making sure that you're hitting the things that are important for each child, for the child. So never teaching things that are an advanced age, right? So, you know, if it's a three-year-old, you don't want to be teaching skills that are appropriate for a five-year-old. That's one way to look at it. Or if it's a three-year-old and they're not speaking, then you want to focus on language as opposed to teaching the alphabet, okay? So there's certain things, I think, that are very important and prioritizing those and making sure that we are teaching the things that are appropriate to the child in the right order uh, is very important because if you skip, the child is going to have a hard time and they're not going to be able to uh, succeed, I guess another thing that you see often with uh, very successful programs is that they're just fun. Everyone's having fun. Uh, The child is highly rewarded. The therapists are, you know, always having a great time because they see progress being made. The family is involved. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And you, you are a success story or your son is Shannon. I'll, let you throw some stuff in here. It's interesting because I feel like what's interesting is that you're the expert and I feel like you gave the more touchy-feely response to it, which I love. I love that you said it needs to be fun. I love that you said that the, the child needs to be healthy. I love that. And uh, But, uh, you know, on the parent side of it, I will say, Sarah, this was the thing that I always wanted to know. This was the thing that I went and searched out and many, many years ago, our dear Bonnie Yates, um, who we haven't had on the show for a while, but um, that, that gives us legal advice here, um, she did a thing right before my son started ABA therapy where she did a panel where she had 10 parents of kids that were quote-unquote success stories. I think by anybody's measure, these kids would be considered success stories. And um, she invited anybody who wanted to come to it, and you, it was standing room only. My husband and I went with our son in, an umbra- in one of those umbrella strollers because mm-hmm. we couldn't get a babysitter, and we both wanted to go. We both wanted to be able to take, and we had to stand in the aisle because there were so many people there to hear because it was going to be 10 different stories of what these families did. And so, and that's when I began to be on my search to see, you know, what are the, what are the factors? Like, well, like, cause we want to make sure that we're doing all those things. And I also, that as I started interviewing people over the years, I would ask this question on a regular basis, sometimes not on camera, cause I wanted the skinny, the tea, as they say. Right. And, yes. um, I, I will tell you that Three things that I found out that there's some significant research on that I then would share with every parent. That the, that the most important factor to success stories, because as they went down the list for every single one of those kids at that event, and then everything that I found out since 
attested to this, including research, showed that a big part of it was access to opportunity, which translates into how, how much therapy did they get. And this is the number one thing that I see across the board when I'm talking to parents, is that their kids aren't getting enough. That if that we've heard Dr. Grampiche say how many times that, well, they set the bar at 40 hours in the original study that she was a part of, but what they really wanted was every waking moment for the child to have access to an educationally enriched environment. So yes. when I hear that parents are doing 15 hours and I'm not hearing the success stories, it's clear to me, and the studies show that's not enough that really what we've seen is the success stories come when kids have early on have 30 plus hours. And really, you know, I love the idea of starting at 40. So access, opportunity, hours, all under the same heading, vital. I've not yet heard a single success story of anyone doing any therapy that it wasn't intensive. So just saying that. Um, the second thing that's a predictor of outcome of success is that whoever you're working with team wise are people who have some experience or have access to people who are guiding them who have experience that I wouldn't be running out and trying something new that's not proven or working with somebody who just started working with individuals with autism last week and doesn't have mentorship who's had years and years and years of experience. But the third thing that was a predictor of outcome is parent involvement, which if, if you think about it, makes sense to what you say, Dr. Grampiche. If we're going for every waking moment being an educationally enriched environment, then dropping my child off at the center, picking them up and not knowing what they were doing at the center or how to carry it out means that it stops after yeah. we come home. And I always, I said this a couple of weeks ago, on my mirror for years was, I had sayings all over the house, but the, the one that was the most important was the one in the bathroom. And it said, Jem's team is only as strong as the weakest player and that will not be me. And that I was constantly pushed by this idea that these other parents got involved, learned what the therapists were doing, and that whatever was happening in, in therapy was carried out at home and that those parents were on it, making sure that that was also happening at school. It's exhausting, but I got to tell you, being on the other side of it now, it is so much less exhausting having done that than, than what I hear from the parents who do not have the success story that I have. I don't mean yeah. that to sound as terrible as it does, but that is the truth that parents who said, I don't have the time and energy to learn this now, have 15 and 16-year-olds and they're trying to learn it now. And they're, they're like, I missed the boat. And they're dealing with the depression of that. So I encourage parents, get on board, learn it, um, follow through, make sure you're working with good quality people. But obviously the two big parts that I feel like you said, Dr. Grampiche, that the child has to be healthy. In fact, the whole family has to be healthy and that has to be a priority and that it's got to be fun. If you're not having fun, you can't do it. It's too it's so hard. true. And also, Shannon, I note that, um, you know, actually Carl wrote in a series of questions about teachers and ABA providers who are not pushing her son enough yeah. because, they think, because they think he just can't do certain things. And I got to tell you that it's good timing, Carl, because it essentially is one of the mistakes that we make also is we think the child has, you know, a diagnosis of autism. So therefore, let's make things easier. And often that causes boredom. It causes the child not to be interested because it's not challenging. They're not learning enough. So making sure that it's a very fair, that's why I use the word fair, because essentially you want to make sure you're pushing, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you are, uh, now I'm hearing a lot of static right now. We're still able to hear you. Okay. Um, oh, so making, oh, can you hear me now? 
Yeah, you broke up for just a second. Well, I was just saying that making sure that there's a very fair level of, you know, pushing, but also rewarding. I think those two together makes a big difference. Yeah. I want to get to this question that Jonathan wrote. He said, our son was doing really good for a while doing ABA. He would match objects with generic pictures. This term, he's all of a this is suddenly completely gone, and he's matching colors as if he was colorblind. That's interesting. Well, I think they sh you should definitely get him tested for colorblindness. I mean, and that is one of the things that could be, but it could also be that you've now reached a point of discrimination between stimuli where he's getting confused. Yeah. So it's important to check. Yeah. I don't know if everybody understands what that means, uh, uh, because when when you talk about discrimination between stimuli, you know, a lot of us just go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So what it means is, you know, we learn, let's say, one color first, red, and then we'll learn an, a second color, let's say. Uh, kids will ha develop this pattern called win-stay-lose-shift. And what that means is that they're not really understanding the object, the stimulus, the color, the thing that we're trying to teach. What they are understanding is that if they go, you know, if they select this side, they win. If they select that side, they lose. So, and if they, when they lose, they will shift. So it's not real learning of the actual thing that you're trying to teach. And that often happens when you're on, let's say, the third object, let's say the third color. So it becomes very hard for the child now to figure out where they're supposed to go because they didn't really learn the colors. They were kind of responding to how you reacted to them. So that's why it's important to, first of all, test. There are tests for colorblindness. Uh, you can look that up online. And nowadays, it would be very easy to just print the test out and test your child. But also, I would tell your team to go back and work on discrimination. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, though, Dr. Grampy-Shea, there's so much at play here. Like on the one hand, I'm concerned because anytime a child loses a skill, we should not ignore that. Like it's a very common thing. I remember that there were times when, first of all, my son was speaking and regressed out of being able to verbally communicate. Scary. And anytime mm -hmm. after that he would lose a skill, I would be scared that it was gone and gone forever. He would learn something and then the next time they would do it, he wouldn't know how to do it. And there are lots of different reasons for that. And it doesn't mean panic, right? But it isn't something we just go, oh, it'll come back, right? Yep. Yep. That's um, right. And, and the other part of that is that, as you were saying, when they're teaching things, there's this crazy moment in learning where in the beginning, somebody doesn't know something. And this is true for all of us. Anything that, everything that we know, we didn't come out of the womb knowing, right? So when they're discriminating between things and in the first time, when, if they're putting down three cards and they're all yellow and they say, choose yellow, I, I, I can't, you know, it's called errorless learning. I can't be wrong. But later right. on, if, as Dr. Grampiche was saying, you're putting down three colors and maybe when you say to me, which one is yellow and I touch the yellow, it could be that I just guessed. It could be that I'm just choosing the one on the one end. We want to make sure that when, and there is a whole process where you build. It's like step upon step upon step so that eventually seven it clicks. It's actually seven, seven steps. The second. Yep. So I, I just want to say that it, it's not magic, but it looks like magic. And that you really have to do each one of the steps. And, if, and then there are ways, as she said, to check later on that, to see if can they discriminate when there are other things there. But there is a moment when you go, oh, my goodness, they got it. Right? And that's a really exciting moment. But if, if they're not checking to make sure that he got it, it's possible that he never had it. Or it's possible that he lost the skill and he needs a refresher in it. There are all kinds of possibilities. 
but I really think you need to be talking with the team and the staff. But he does go on to say um, that we are concerned about the quality of ABA given in kindergarten and suspect it could be something go on, going on there making him unmotivated. They don't like using candy as reinforcement, for example. But yeah. I also don't like using candy as reinforcement in the classroom, Dr. Grampichet. Well, it doesn't, it's not about, uh, okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, there's inconsistency in this child's case, right? So in one environment, he's receiving candy, and another one, he's not. Mm. And no matter what we feel about any reinforcer, candy is food. Food is a primary reinforcer. It's always going to be more powerful than social reinforcers always it's a primary so basically either we have to stop using food at home or we have to start using it at school it's not a choice and when you do even if you do you can always gradually eliminate it but remember it's important to be doing that across consistency with your environments otherwise everything not just the reinforcer the way they ask the actual statements they present to him the way they reinforce all of that has to be the same okay can i just ask though that if you know because my concern about why no candy in the classroom is that then you have to deal with the after effect so if you're going to do candy at home and at school can it please be something that doesn't have artificial colors, artificial flavors, and has some natural form of sugar that doesn't metabolize so that they're so that you don't have to deal with another symptom afterwards, I guess is my point. Yeah. I mean, these are very valid uh, points, Shannon, and because sometimes as parents, we don't realize that even though the rewards, like when you give a reinforcer, it's supposed to be tiny amounts, right? Yes. So like take an M&M and cut it in four pieces is how we do it. Yeah. But even that over the course of a long day of doing ABA can add up and it can actually turn into like a bag of M&Ms, which probably is not what you want to be giving your child every day. Right, right. Uh, we only have time, I think, for one more question, and it's a doozy. It's it, We could take a whole hour on this. Crystal says, how do I get my three-year-old started in ABA? 40 hours seems like so much. He can't be evaluated for autism till November, but I feel like he really needs help sooner. Yes. And, Crystal, I would say you gradually do ABA. Um, you do need the evaluation. You can take advantage of this time that you are waiting by learning you can go online and start teaching yourself uh you know there are lots of online aba courses available now so train yourself and you will start actually learning how to do some of this stuff and you never start with 40 hours. For a three-year-old, it's enough to start with 15 or 20 hours and then increase every month until you get to 40 hours. And hopefully you can do that in about six months. So then the child is actually used to it and, and can acclimate. There we go. Um, uh, and we have 30 seconds left. I will say somebody else had written in that because last week we talked about there's a, a link to a free RBT training, a registered behavior um, technician training that's a great place for parents to start. It's through the autismpartnershipfoundation.org. They said that they weren't able to find the link. So, Traven, I'm going to ask you if you can put the link in the comments. If not, I'll do it later. Um, but that's a free training. You can start there. There are many others that are good ones. I always loved the Institute for Behavioral Training ones, but um, it, it, there is a price tag attached to that. And if you can't afford that, please free autismpartnershipfoundation.org. Dr. Grandichet, we're out of time. Thank you so much, everyone, for bearing with us despite the technical difficulties today. And yes. we look forward to seeing everybody next Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Grampy Shea, and thank you all of us. 
uh, all of you for being with us today. Uh, we are back live tomorrow. Uh, no guests, so hopefully we won't have uh, audio problems. But tomorrow we're talking about how theater and all of the things around theater can be something that is helpful and useful to individuals, whether they're small children, teens, or adults on the autism spectrum. This is a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, For those of you who don't know, my master's degree is in theater, so very near and dear to my heart, and we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. You'd be surprised at how many skills you can build while having fun participating in theater. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.